All right, so we're welcoming a new theme for this whole year called the Paramis, or the Perfections, the Ten Perfections. And this is the teaching theme that Tori and I settled on. It's when we did a few years ago, I think 2017 or something. Yeah, 17. And it's nice to kind of review those, go back into those. So these uh, ten perfections, we'll use that as a as a teaching theme. So each month we'll tackle one of the perfections at a time. This first month in January, we'll do an overview. I'll be teaching tonight, obviously, and then Tuary will be here for the next three night three yeah three Mondays, and then. At the end of December, December will actually use that month to review the permies. I always like going back and doing the review because it helps, because I deepen around the topics over the, over the year as we deepen, as we practice with them. We understand them in deeper ways and more uh, nuances, more integration. And so looking at them as a whole again at the end of the year, as well as, well as we did at the beginning, helps us really ground into that, that teaching. And this year, we're going to have um, more appearances by Carrie Peterson. She'll be teaching about 12 nights, Monday nights, and territory will be about 12, and I'll do the other uh, amount. And also, Arv and Linda will be doing a, a couple months, too. So it'd be nice to have different voices throughout the month. Uh, for most months, we'll have a few different voices, just the way the scheduling works, until the end of the year, then I'll be kind of doing it more continuously. So tonight I thought we would do an overview of the paramis and how to actually work with them, how to engage around these uh, these important practices. So the paramis, there's 10 of them. There's generosity, there's virtue or ethics or morality, different ways we can uh, translate it. There's renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving-kindness, and equanimity. All right, so these ten are called the ten perfections. And there's different lists in different traditions, like the Mariana or the Zen tradition has six. That's not the exact same number. They are the same um, ones. They've kind of changed a few. And we have a nice resource page on the website. If you look under um, classes, classes and programs, Yearly series. So there's a nice page that Tori and Cheryl made, and we also have some postcards that Alice Lee worked on to uh, to have all the paramis there. So get one of those, and you can keep keep all the number, all the the ones in, in track in front of your your refrigerator or something. Now these paramis are interesting because they don't show up in their early teachings in the early suttas as a comprehensive list. There's different elements that show up in different suttas, but there's not the parami list that we see in a lot of the other ones, as far as I know. And it's considered part of the bodhisattva path, that we use these ten to really perfect ourselves to the point we become a Buddha. And that's part of the, the path toward Buddhahood. And also looking at these ten, it was interesting as I reflected for this, ta- this talk, which ones are present and which ones aren't present compared to other lists. Because if you notice some of the lists like the Eightfold Path, the Seven Factors of Awakening, the Seven Powers or Faculties, and the Seven or the Four Bases of Power for the Mind, some of those ones kind of you see a lot of. But if two of them, and three of them actually we don't see in this list are mindfulness, concentration, or investigation. Right? So these are some of our, are really our root of how we practice, how we learn to deepen our own experience, cultivate this, this quality of perce- perception, which is not so distorted by our normal mind states, by our conditioning, by our previous history, to actually see the moment how it actually is. Such a foundation of why we emphasize meditation practice, and yet the paramis don't have don't have mindfulness. They don't have concentration. They don't have investigation. Right? And I think that points to the paramis are a way of practicing, particularly in our life, to really bring our practice into the the fabric of our life, the way we actually do our work, our jobs, our 
activities, the way we interact with others, our relationships, how we live in this world. So the paramis are really well suited for that exploration. And there's a couple of the paramis which do show up in these other lists, particularly equanimity and wisdom, and especially energy. Energy actually shows up in seven factors, five faculties, four powers. And we'll be coming around to that in June, mostly with Carrie exploring those. So we'll go through each one of these briefly. But first I want to talk about how to work with them in general. Just in general, how do you work with these? Because we throw out something like the perfections. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I've got to work hard. I've got to be perfect. And I sure don't feel very perfect in my normal mind or even my well, my best states. I'm not I'm far from perfect. Right? So it can, sometimes we can get a little caught in that. So the first advice is really to not use these as a way to judge yourself. Okay? Not to use these as a way to judge your failings. Sometimes we, we come into the practice, of course, with our normal patterns of self-criticism and harshness, and we find whole new ways to judge ourselves. Like, I thought it was okay just to daydream, but now I know I have to be present and mindful all the time. Right? So I have these more, if we're not careful, we can judge ourselves for all these different things. And you just have another list of things you can judge. Like, I'm not very generous, I don't have a lot of morality, I don't renounce things, I don't have much wisdom, much energy, much patience, not very truthful, don't have much determination, not very loving, not much loving kindness, and certainly not much equanimity, right? So we can just layer our judgment upon ourselves. We compare ourselves to others and what we project about them, like, oh, so-and-so, they're sitting so quietly, they must have these perfections just dialed in, and here I am in my mind is just going all over the place. Narayan um, Liebenson, a, a friend and teaching colleague, a teacher who's been teaching for some, I don't know, 35 years, 40 years. She sometimes talks about the, the dangers of using the Dharma as a weapon against ourselves. Okay, using the Dharma as a weapon against ourselves. So that's when we use something like the paramis as a list to judge ourselves more fully. Okay, I'm going to judge myself for not being patient, for not being generous. So if you start to find that process going on, as soon as you catch it, try to put, put a pause on that. Step back. Try to release that self-judgment. Because that's not really what they're intended to do. They're intended to to enliven us, to deepen our practice, to bring, to really uplift us, not as a way to feel bad about ourselves for how um, un-Buddha-like we might perceive ourselves to be. So here's three ways that I thought of around working with them. So there's many others that we'll explore together this year. But the first one is to look at almost like a, a way you can troubleshoot. You know, when you have some appliance and it stops working, there's often these kind of common troubleshooter things you can go through. Is it plugged in? Have you reset the modem? You know, all those kind of things. And you can notice that when you're in a time of struggle in your life, a difficulty, either generated through internally, through mind states, worry, or perhaps through just life circumstances. You know, something difficult is happening. Life has just given you something that's really hard to deal with. Often we're in those states, if your mind's like mine, you often kind of just bounce around. You kind of go from one thought to another to another. But you're kind of caught almost in this closed feedback loop that just keeps amping up the worry and the anxiety and the fear. We lose our perspective. Things, Our world kind of becomes more narrow around the thing that we are worried about. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. If it doesn't, you can you can just leave because you got it. <laughs> you got the perfections already dialed in. And in the midst of that, we're all the our our assumptions seem so real. We're just taking them on as being actual statements of fact instead of just a narrow way of seeing it. 
So we can step back and, by using the paramis, to actually use the paramis to gain that perspective, to gain a different way of seeing. That's what I meant by troubleshooting, is like, okay, how is, how is my generosity right now? How is my, my virtue? How is my morality? How is my sense of renunciation? So we could literally pull up the list of the paramis and go through them and see which ones stand out. You know, which ones seem really missing in this, this experience, in this way I am in this moment. And you can find what you're looking for is that one or two that when you read and, and notice and reflect on, it starts to shift your perspective. It starts to let you see things in a more balanced way, in a broader way. Instead of being lost in the struggle, you can step back and say, oh, I'm not allowing patience right now. I'm not allowing a quality of generosity. It allows us to take a deeper breath and settle into our bodies, start to see things different. Let's say you, you have a frustration with a friend who's kind of procrastinating about making a decision or getting back to you. And you can get caught in the frustration and the irritation around it. Go through the paramis and say, oh, maybe that quality of patience is lacking right now. Maybe it can bring some energy of patience. Maybe it can bring a quality of, of compassion. You know, compassion toward, so if I say compassion, metta, remember, when metta turns towards something that's suffering, it transforms to compassion. Right, so that quality of metta, can I have kindness toward that person, toward myself and the suffering? It starts to change the way that we're so lost in that struggle. Or maybe we're caught in procrastination. We don't want to do something that we know is going to be difficult, maybe challenging. We're kind of worried about how it's going to turn up. Qualities of energy, maybe that sense of energy, willingness to keep meeting this experience. A wisdom to realize putting it off is not going to make it any better. That's going to maybe get make it worse. A sense of determination, that willingness to go into what is difficult, that sense of grit. Truthfulness, you know, that willingness to really have those difficult conversations. Sometimes we're worried about say, sharing something or just kind of owning our own truth. To have that determination, they all start to work together. So starting to look at these as a way of, of using our minds to focus on the paramis. You see, how can we take this struggle we're kind of lost in and call forth the, the paramis? Now related to that, my second one is a sense of inspiration. Okay, where is this parami right now? Now the first one, the way I, I kind of suggested or presented is almost like you just use your minds to look at the paramis. While calling forth the parami as a way to inspire you is more the heart's leading. The heart's leading in this process. Almost calling it forth in this moment. Where, where is generosity in this moment? And we can look at this in one hand as almost like conjuring up the parami. Right? Kind of conjuring up calling it out of nothingness, and that often of when it feels like. And that sense of conjuring, sometimes we get a little bit, um, go a little bit astray, get stuck in the sense of me who is conjuring. Okay, I can, I can make this, this, this parami arise. This is where perhaps some, like those New Age practices, get a little bit astray because they tend to reinforce that sense of self, the sense of me who is doing something. I prefer to think of this process more as uncovering what's already here. Uncovering what something has been obscured and covered up by our delusion, by our ignorance, by our struggle. Starting to release the distortions that keep it hidden. In this way, the sense of self isn't so reinforced. It's more like I'm letting go versus me doing something. I'm letting go and saying, okay, where is the parami? right now, a releasing, a letting go, allowing that parami to start to arise from something much vaster than just that narrow sense of me, confined sense of me. This reminds me of a, a technique that Rodney Smith 
would often share. So Rodney Smith, if you haven't heard of, of him, he was uh, the really the founding teacher of Seattle Insight. So he's the one who helped establish Seattle Insights some um, 25, 30 years ago. He's the one that's coming back and to offer some teachings next month. And he would say he had this technique called the vertical question, right? So a vertical question that often we are, our struggle is kind of going on this horizontal realm, right? Into the future, what's going to happen in the future, what's happened in the past. And it's really caught in this whole idea of mind, ideas, thoughts. I'm really kind of in that whole, that scenario. A vertical question is something that drops us right into the middle of this moment kind of cuts through that projection into the future, the projection back into the past, but to write hap what's happening right in this very moment. And he would have questions that he would, it was really what was pertinent for you would happen, would be the best question. But something like, let's say I'm having a struggle or a conflict with someone, I just ask something like, where is their love in this moment? Say something that seems completely not present calling that forth. Where is their meta in this moment? It reminds us of that potential. It reminds us of that parameter that's actually there all the time. It starts to arise. And what's really happening is we're letting go of that contraction of self or by letting go of that horizontal realm of into the future and past, coming right into this present moment. So each of the paramis can be one of those calling forth. Okay, where is their determination in this moment? Where is their energy in this moment? Where is their truthfulness in this moment? And you can be... It's really a sense, again, of letting... Uh, when you do this in a, in a way that's skillful, there's a feeling of almost coming right into the middle of this, this stillness that's here. Something that seems so gripping and so strong, you start to feel that breath as you, as you release it. And you're releasing that into something more like a different, like a good quality, but it's more like you're releasing right into the stillness, right into the emptiness. Right? So that's that, that quality of calling it forth. And finally, there's the cultivation of these paramis. So the cultivation is this ongoing willingness to keep refreshing that, to keep bringing that forth in our lives. An active quality of looking at our lives and say, how can I bring each of these forth? So this is one of the invitations for this year for each one of us, including the teachers, is to each month take that parami and see if you can take that on. Can I start to understand how it shows up? You know, where it, where it shows up, where it doesn't show up. How can I start to understand it in more and more deep ways? Again, it's not about judging yourself for when it's not there. That's counterproductive. I'm sure we're going to have to keep reminding you of that all along. But it's, it's, it's really counterproductive to judge yourself for the absence of it. Try to shift that to understanding. Can I be curious about why is there no patience in this moment? Why is there such a tendency to want to tell a lie? You start to notice in this way how I can practice with the paramis in the simple ways from day to day. Start to bring compassion and understanding to when they're challenging. And you can be really creative around it. You can find lots of interesting ways that will explore and suggest in your own ways. And the important thing is to keep them really present to the forefront as you're, as you're practicing, almost like a lens that you start to see everything through each of the paramis. How can I see everything I do through the lens of generosity from Donna, which we'll explore next month? How can I have an attitude of, of, of caring, of sharing in the simple way I stand in line, the way I drive, the way I navigate the world? The way I just care, I listen to other people's needs. And then when I can, I offer what I can for them. It could be something like a, a daily reflection around that parami. Maybe before you go to bed. How did, which ways did I practice patience today? 
Which way does I practice sila, morality, or, or virtue? At times I brought determination or truthfulness. And also start to notice that in the people around you. Notice when people are acting in an ethical way, when people are acting in a patient way. And notice how that has a certain effect not only on them, but everyone around them. The more, you, the more energy you bring to it, the more alive these will become. And if you can, just try to share that reflection to them. And I really noticed you, you did something that was hard. It was hard to say that, but it was the right thing to do, and I appreciate that about you. A small example of this, I, I remember my daughter years ago was, was in band, and she played, she played clarinet. And one day she forgot her clarinet. And she told the band instructor that her clarinet was in, in the shop, which it wasn't. <laughs> because if it's in the shop, it's, you know, it's an excuse thing. And when I realized that, I said, okay, you really need to come clean with them. You need to tell them the truth. So, begrudgingly, she wrote an email to that effect saying that, you know, it actually was at home. I just forgot it. And the teacher wrote back and said that, you know, this is an unusual email for me to get, when a student actually admits that, it actually comes clean. So when that witnessing, witnessing the parami of truthfulness, you know, there's, not, there's a power for him doing that. There's a power for my daughter seeing that. There's a power for us witnessing and hearing that. So the more we do that for each other, for stranger, and we can do this really easily with a stranger. You just notice someone who's being really diligent. Oh, you're really applying some effort there. You're really being sincere. Thank you for that. You know, just what does that feel like inside? What does it feel like in that interaction, that relationship? So the paramis, this, this sense of cultivation, like that growing of something, you know, we, if we grow something, sometimes the soil is a little barren, it's a little hostile. So we have to learn how to, to cultivate that, to, to make it richer. My father used to, he still does this actually here in a, in a, in a Seattle area and also where I grew up in, in New Mexico. For some reason, he tends to have garden plots that have a lot of clay in them, right? So clay is really rich, but it's so dense. It's really hard for anything to grow. What he would do is just put, and he still does this, put layers and layers of leaves on it each season and let the leaves kind of break down and the earthworms come up. And over time, that soil becomes much more rich and aerated that you can actually take a fork and just lift through it. But before it was so compacted and hard. Right? So this is part of the attitude of patience that we bring to all the paramis. This willingness to cultivate. And our, sometimes our soil of our heart or our soil of our minds is a little contracted. Right? It's hardened because of, you know, often because of injury, of trauma, of hard things we've experienced, the ways we've had to protect ourselves. And learning how to loosen that soil up to allow the paramis to start to take root. So bring the paramis forth, even when things are difficult, even when things are challenging. Thomas Merton said that prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. So prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. So difficult things in our life, we can learn to bring those paramis forth to really engage. So now I'd like to just go through each of the paramis briefly to kind of flesh them out just, just a little bit. We'll have lots of time to explore. And in honor of today, which is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I, I found some, some quotes from him that kind of met each of these paramis to some degree. This is also a message because Martin Luther King Jr.'s life was really about that, that deep commitment to social justice, to overcoming racism, and really it was a very, very painful, very difficult, very challenging, and yet he brought his heart forth again and again. This is a message of the paramis. 
It's not something that we can keep kind of passive in our lives. We actually, how we show up in the world is a voicing of the paramis. How do we actually show up and make change, encourage change to happen? Now, some of these, they're most, sometimes he would use the male, um, you know, man, gender, which is out of date. So I apologize for that. But when you hear the word man, consider that means all humans. First one is the generosity of Donna. So giving, sharing with others. This is from a 63 book, Strength to Love. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And this is a voicing of generosity. What can I give? What can I do for another human being? Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Virtue or ethics or morality. This is from his Nobel lecture, The Quest for Peace and Justice. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. Violence ends up defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutally brutality in the destroyers. So sometimes with ethics, we notice it from the, the harm that we cause. We notice from the, the deep desire not to cause harm. And sometimes we gain that by seeing the harm that we have caused. We notice, oh, I did something that hurt another person, hurt another creature. Reflecting on that, not in a way that creates shame or guilt, but a quality of healthy urgency to become clearer and more awake. Renunciation. This is from his autobiography. Nothing worthwhile is gained without sacrifice. Nothing worthwhile is gained without sacrifice. So renunciation, sometimes we can see it as a sacrifice, and it often is a sacrifice. But maybe we're sacrificing something which no longer serves us, and no longer serves anyone. I think ideally renunciation comes from this place of, of wisdom, of clear seeing. And okay, this, this is something that causes harm to myself and others. This is no longer leading toward liberation, or never has. And the renunciation is one actually an expression of love, of kindness. Now, wisdom. Here I found a few, a few, uh, three different quotes. Uh, two from the Strength to Love book. One day we will learn that the heart can never be totally right when the head is totally wrong. That one day we will learn that the heart can never be totally right when the head is totally wrong. Another one from that same book. Nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious, or, yeah, conscientious, conscientious, conscientious stupidity. Nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And then from his have a, I Have a Dream speech, and from 63, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin or the content of their character. So wisdom is really the whole practice, is learning to allow wisdom to grow and deepen, to really permeate through our minds, through our intentions, through our actions, through our very way we perceive. We start to perceive what is, what is wise. Energy, Viria. This is from also the 64 Nobel Peace Priest Prize acceptance speech. This faith can give us courage to face the uncertainties of the future. It will give our tired feet new strength as we continue our forward stride for the city of freedom. Patience. This is from the letter from a Birmingham jail. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. 
and also from the strength to love. If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Yeah, patience often that sense of I gotta hurry up, I gotta get things big things done. Just doing great things, small things in a great way. Can I just take this one breath and be completely present for it? Can I have that one interaction? Can I be show up with as much heart as I can bring to that moment? Truthfulness. This is from the Purpose of Education essay. Education must enable one to shift and weigh evidence, to discern the truth from the false, the real from the unreal, and the facts from the fiction. The facts from the fiction. And truthfulness is one of those uh, elements. It's interesting, this is duplicated also with the sila, with the precepts, or with ethics. Truthfulness is one of those. But to bring that forth again, okay, what's really true in this moment? You know, not my, my opinions or my preconceptions, but what's actually true? And you find that truth sometimes isn't something we can articulate as well as something which is untrue. Maybe things which are kind of approximately true, but a deep quality of truth is really this sense of, of connection with this moment, this uh, mystery of this moment unfolding. Determination. Okay, determination. It's interesting as I, as I went through this, this article with 50, 59 quotes from Martin Luther King Jr., this one had, I, four of them stood out around determination, which makes sense. From his I Have a Dream speech, we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. We'll be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. It's from strength to love, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. Controversy. So that measure of who we are comes forth when things are difficult, when things are of challenge. From the autobiography, I came to the conclusion that there is an ex existential moment in your life when you must decide to speak for yourself. Nobody else can speak for you. You need to hear the, the power of these paramis and these words of determination. And then finally, from the proper sense of priority speech, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but they must take it because conscience tells them it is right. And now loving kindness, metta. And so there's a couple people in the waiting room. Okay, loving kindness. This is also from the Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. The beauty of genuine brotherhood and sisterhood and peace is more precious than diamonds or silver or gold. From the 1956, the most durable power serum, serum. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Okay, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Right? That very line, or not, not so much that line, but that sediment, that sediment, that sediment, but you know what I'm saying. The thought. <laughs> my my. Working vocabulary is not as good as my mental vocabulary, so I apologize. One of my quirkiness, quirky parts. This um, simile of the saw, that sutta, the Buddha really speaks out like if you you act from a place of anger, from hate, from really from hatred, let's say, that's not following his teachings. You know, and how do you work with that? How do you do that? So let no person pull you so low as to hate them. Strength to love. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And finally, from where do we go from here? 
address, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Hate is too great a burden to bear. See that how the wisdom comes in, that we see for ourselves the impact of hate. And that's one of the, the messages of metta, is that metta, we, we often focus on these other beings, and that's, that's wonderful. But what we're really doing is transforming our own heart. Because our heart, when we hold anger and hatred, unforgiveness in our hearts, that causes an impact. It harms us. It's too great a burden to bear. And finally, equanimity, upekka. Again, from the Nobel lecture, The Quest for Peace and Justice. Nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon. Indeed, it is a weapon unique in history, which cuts without wounding and enables the, the man who wields it. And then from the sermon, Conquering Self-Centeredness. An individual has not started living until they can rise above the narrow confines of their individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. So equanimity is that we we sometimes think of it as equanimity being kind of shut down, not being affected, kind of be insulated from all the trials of life. That's actually not the, what equanimity is. Equanimity is that being equally near all things, equally close to all things. And the secret around that is that sense of me, I can't be equally close to all things, right? There's some things I like and don't like. But I'm no longer moving from that sense of self. I'm going from that place of a profound stillness and yet interconnection. Then I can be equally near all things. This individual has not started living until they can rise above the narrow confines of their individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. So to honor Martin Luther King and his life and how his words still have so much power today and how the paramis come alive in those. So the message is that these paramis are a way of us learning how to engage in our lives, actually practice with them. So I hope this year we can all practice together and grow in our understanding and our expression of these these ten perfections. All right, so if we could just sit quietly for a couple moments, letting those words settle. Okay, so I don't have homework for you this week, but try to look at those those paramis, those three aspects I talked about. The aspect of using as a kind of a troubleshooting thing. I'm struggling, just run through the paramis. Which one is absence? What is not present right now? Can I bring attention to that? Using them as a way to inspire you, to actually call forth a parami in this moment of struggle. And to also start to just have that patience of cultivation, that I'm cultivating it. And don't judge yourself for the paramis. Don't judge yourself for your perceived absence of them. And be compassionate. So that we're all learning, we're all growing in this journey together. So we have a, question, a chance for any questions or sharing you might have. So you're welcome to, if you're here in the room, you can come over here to the mic so they can hear you online. And online, you can just raise your virtual hand and I'll, I'll call on you. Yes, do you mind coming up so they can hear you online? It's right there. Thank you. Um, I'm... Just curious, because you, and I don't actually know how much anyone knows about this, but you mentioned um, the paramis were not part of kind of like the earlier suttas. Mm -hmm. 
And I was a little bit curious. And did you say they're not part of the Mahayana tradition? Well, they are part of the Mahayana, okay. yes. Okay, okay. Yes. I was just curious about kind of where, like, if we know when and how they developed or, like, who mm. who kind of, like, compiled them as a list. You know, that's a, it's a great question. I was I was doing a little reading about it, but I didn't quite get that that particular answer came forth. But there's, um, if you type in the, the paramis, and there's a center called the um, Insight, um, it's IRC, I think. But there's a nice article by uh, Guy Armstrong, who kind of goes through some of the early suttas. You know, not the early suttas, but kind of one of the, the Taught that not that it's, it's really like a story that comes up about the Buddha's previous lives. And there's this interesting story where he's seeing another Buddha and he's like really inspired and, and he decides to like lay down and let them walk across him and not get mud on their back and their feet. And the Buddha perceived that, you know, the, the current, the Buddha back then perceived that Buddha, you know, the Buddha to be's intention. And basically said, okay, you know, perfect these things. So we think about how the teach, this is how I think things went, is that the Buddha taught for 80 years, right? So here's the things he taught. Mm -hmm. That's captured as, as close as we can tell in the original suttas. You know, there's these different baskets. But then people over time kind of like, okay, let's, let's see, where did some of these come from? Mm -hmm. Where are some of the commentary around it? Mm -hmm. So they kind of flush things out. Mm -hmm. And so like the Mariana, the Zen tradition really has a lot of commentary, right? There's a lot of teachers adding their own insight and wisdom into it. Mm -hmm. And this is an, another thing, you know, whether it came from someone's vision or a, a story, or mm -hmm. it may have been, perhaps it was just one of those things that the monks and nuns knew about and talked about, mm -hmm. but they didn't say, okay, we're going to make this codified into a sutta. Mm -hmm. But there's kind of this kind of background yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. And, you know, when you start to talk about past lives and, and, you know, all that stuff, it gets a little bit, you know, out there perhaps. Wild. <laughs> it gets a little wild, yeah. right. And I think it, you can look at a lot of the teachings and sometimes wonder, okay, did that really come from the old teachings or not? But is it useful? Is it helpful? Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those things they felt this is a really helpful thing to cultivate. Mm -hmm. And each one of these, um, things were, are in the, each of these paramis are in the early teachings, mm -hmm. just not in a comprehensive list. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Anyone else have anything they'd like to ask or share? I can be very patient waiting for questions to arise. So. All right, Dave. So I was struck during your talk by um, the courage. I think maybe hearing Dr. King's voice and hearing his courage mm. in kind of embodying the paramis, I, I noticed myself feeling like embodying the paramis will require a lot of courage from me mm. and feeling uncertain whether I'm up to it, mm. uh, especially like determination and truthfulness and probably others. Um, do you have any words you can say on that? Well, I think especially looking at, at Martin Luther King, a tremendous courage. I mean, it wasn't kind of this abstract, like my friend's going to yell at me. It's like you're going to get beat by a club or hit by a, uh, hose or, you know, all these you throw in jail. So there's really took a tremendous amount of courage, but also just willingness to, to, to really fight for that, to fight for that, the right of, of, of black Americans to, you know, become equal citizens, you know, and that still fight goes on today. And so part of it is that kind of the urgency. I'm sure there's things in your life that you would probably fight very hard for, that courage would just arise for you. You know, there's people in your life that you would really walk through fire if you had to. You know, so it's also kind of reflecting on that, too. And, and it may be that your life circumstances, you don't necessarily have to go find those that are going to be so challenging if you don't have that in your life. If you're drawn to that, 
then, you know, by all means, you would be empowered to do that. And you can start to notice just the small ways of courage, you know, those small willingness to step forth. I think it's practices, you know, Martin Luther King is like, it's almost mythological at this point, just how big of a presence was, how big of an impact he had in the world. And sometimes we discount the small things that we can do in our life. Just those small choices of that willingness to, you know, like this, you know, I know that you do things in your life, which I think many of us would feel uncomfortable with, like, you know, working with the homeless, for example. I mean, to be willing to look a homeless person in their eye to actually make contact with them, that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to be willing to make that contact, right? And yet you do it. And I think about th th when things which you can, you're able to do, you may not feel so much courage around it because you just know that's the right thing to do. Right? So focus more on that part. Okay, what's that? You know, I think in all those different areas and small areas, like in, interpersonally, you know, can I share myself? Can I show up? Can I asking a question? You know, that probably took some courage, right? So we start to learn by testing those edges. Okay, things didn't fall apart. I can, I can trust. I can do. Maybe when when we can sense what's really beneficial, then the courage kind of comes from that. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because what, what motivates us to do something is if it's really on that place of that, like one of his, his poems was, or his pieces where we really know what's, it's the right thing to do, or we can really see the benefit of that. Yeah, then we step forward. We do it even though there might be a lot of resistance or flack or things we have to go through. That's becomes what's most important to us. And many of us, including myself, there's this journey of learning how to, to really become fully adult, become fully grown up. And so often we're trying to, was it Yoon said that that's one of the goals of a human being is to be fully adult. And so often we're kind of still trying to deal with the shadows of our past, of our parents, and wanting for love and approval and all those things. And that sometimes becomes more important than what we know is right. And we start to trust that more and more. We start to uh, have that conviction of that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Anyone else like to ask or share anything? Lots of perfection out there. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, go ahead. I just wanted to just just make a, an observation about how the paramis are like these fantastic, it's like a list of guidelines to live by. And especially for me, you know, I, um, Sila has been a really, really big practice and non-self and everything. And I think even just getting to Sila, all of this, you know, they all, it all relates. That's right. And they're all, and Tori's talked about it too, is they're all like, ba they balance each other out. Yeah. And, and this one feeds into that one. And. So I'm looking forward to, to working with them, you know, so closely this way. Yes, yeah, so. guideline to, to live by. And I think yeah. you know, it would be interesting to see, like each, I think as we deepen into each one, we start to see how they do kind of weave in and out. That, mm -hmm. Like you said, like with like ethics, for example, there's all these things that kind of come, come through them. Almost like it could be the one that you open to all of them. It's almost like a, a hologram. You know, each one of them can have that quality. Yeah, and like what you're saying about harm, you know, about which one is the non-harm one? <laughs> well, that'd be ethics, right? Yeah, that'd be ethics. Yeah, yeah. but when when I when I see that I when I can really really feel, and this is this has been so important in my own practice, when I can feel the harm that I've caused somebody else, then I 
that's 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 what's gone, and that's why if I have shame about about it, then I can't practice with it. It's no that's longer right, yeah. available to me, and then all I wanted, I want to fix it. I want to make it go away, so I can never ever see it. Hmm. So when you talked about that part, you know, we can't, you know, beat ourselves up about this and judge. You know, I, I mean, I was really good at that, so I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's been a big part of my practice too, to like you know, practice. stop, uh, yeah, right. stop giving myself such a hard time. Because yeah, when we go into that, that sense of, of shame and guilt, yeah, we, we no longer have that that perspective to actually grow and learn from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of solidifies around it. So there was something I was going to say about that, but kind of whisked, whisked away. Yeah, the, yeah, the impact of, of your actions on other people, that really... You can really feel that, and it's it's really that sense of, of willingness to to learn and willingness to to grow from that, and that's that's a big shift, right? Yeah, from it that. Is. It, of, and it's like what Dave was saying. That takes a lot of courage. That's right. You can because it's different. The, ha- the habits are getting all shaken up. Anyway, thanks. Just wanted You're to, welcome. Yeah. Each of these these paramis, we can we can see them as that, like like, like the idea of non-harm. You know, we can look at each one of the paramis as an expression of that. Okay, of course, generosity. If I'm actually being generous in a clear way, you know, that is kind of going above and beyond non-harming. It's actually helping. The sense of of sila, you know, all the different ways that shows up. Sense of renunciation. How often do we choose to not act on something? And that's actually a choice of, of non-harm. Wisdom, the more and more clearly we understand the nature of our actions, the ramifications of our actions, externally, internally, that wisdom allows us to see that. The energy, we need energy to be willing to, to make that choice. Because often our, our ethical stuff, the ones we kind of rub up against, there's a lot of momentum, kind of those well-worn grooves. It takes energy to shift out of that groove to act in a different way. Your truthfulness. You know, that, that willingness, okay, can I really be truthful in this moment? Like shame and, and, and guilt, for example, I would wonder how truthful is that? Because it's a story we're weaving about ourselves. And we start to realize, okay, that's just a story. You know, there's, I can still be fully responsible for my actions, but I don't have to use the guilt and shame to make a conclusion about ourselves. That's this paradox. Sometimes we think, oh, if I don't have that sense of self, then I kind of can do whatever I want. It's not that at all. We're still fully responsible for our actions. We're just not forming that sense of me as a kernel around it. Okay, Kathy, go ahead. You're still muted here. You have permission to unmute. Okay, let me give you, okay, go ahead. You're still muted, though. Ah, there you now. That's good. Um, thanks. I uh, I was so uh, so touched and moved, Tim, that you would bring them bring these quotes from Martin Luther King into this talk. I was just really moved by that, and uh, I want to thank you for that and. Also, is there a way to look these up, or how would I find them for myself? Well, what I did is I just did a a Google search on quotes by Martin Luther King, and it came up actually pretty quickly. It was like 59 quotes or something. You can send me an email. I can send you that link if you want, but it's um, you should be able to find it pretty pretty evenly, easily. But they're, they're nice quotes because a lot of these, you know, I had never heard, but you can see just the, the breadth of those and, and the, the depth of that. Great. Thank you, Tim. All right. Susan?
Susan, go ahead if you like. Okay, I got permission okay. to unmute. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tim, for your, I feel this pure purity of heart you've cultivated comes through to me, and I just am very grateful and very touching and opens my heart. And I just wanted to say that. And then also I have a question in case you have some feedback for me uh, related to the paramis. Uh, I, it may seem really obvious, but I thought I'd just, just say it in case there was some uh, feedback you might have. Um, I related to these, the paramis. I feel there's this, is it like a juxtaposition of like, I'm not entitled to anything or I don't deserve like as, as a spiritual, I'm talking way a very, uh, you know, not in a human sense, you know, there's so much of this, you're entitled, you deserve whatever. And that actually, I think creates a lot of uh, positioning and things. And I, and, and to me, it's like, uh, it doesn't mean, I'm, you know, the lowest, or maybe it does, but it, it's, it's just, there is, it sort of takes that out of the whole equation while having these high aspirations and these beautiful qualities to cultivate without having any, like the way things are is, is who knows what's, you know, gonna, happen next um i mean am i entitled to have no earthquakes affect me no i mean i'm not that that there's so much that i you know people it seems like the world is teaching this whole you know you're entitled to all this and i don't hear that in any of mlk's uh so he's got both of these like things uh i don't know if that makes sense my question if there's any I feel it opens it up. It's like out of this soul, soul, try to hold on to something that, you know, I can't hold on to, let that go and, and just work on the these qualities. I don't know. Does that make sense? Or I think so. So the sense of entitlement... And it sounds like let me let me see if I if I I'll answer something and see if that that fits at all. That when we look at the the paramis, there's not a way that we can necessarily own them in the way that we can own other things. And we might be proud about some of them and shameful about other ones, but all that they they point toward that kind of this is just a quality that I'm kind of shaping this thing I call my my life around. They can start to kind of cultivate uh, a sense of kindness or a sense of, of non-harm through these expressions of the paramis. But there's not this sense of, of like, okay, I deserve that or I'm entitled to that. Because there's also, if you were deserving of it, there's also the other side of it, the shadow side that we're no longer, we're not deserving of that. We're not part, you know, we don't, we lose something, that gain and loss, that praise and blame. So learning how to, to practice with in a way that, okay, this this quality of, of of each of these paramis at their heart, we can start to see that if we don't take ownership of them, if we don't say that is me, that's me, that's I, that's mine, we start to see that they are actually just these expressions of, of our wisdom, expressions of our kindness. This is the, the things that make just make more and more sense. We resonate more and more deeply with them, and yet we can't claim them as being mine, as claiming them as being I. Did that get to your your question at all or your your feedback? Yes, thank you. I think that yeah it uh yeah, I think uh it, it's like I could see these things becoming rules, you know, mm. or something like that and it it's like they're not it's not it's it's they're there are no rules. I don't know. Maybe I just think MLK's, uh, all these speeches, all and the Buddha, uh, 
it's really more than rules rules they're they're a high you don't need rules maybe when you have a higher consciousness or wisdom it's it's more because it benefits you and all beings yes maybe um Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that sense of, of rules. You know, on the one hand, it's it's better to have these things you try to follow as as rules, if you will. But it's ultimately we have to go from this external um, authority or someone else telling us how we should live to really seeing for ourselves, you know, deeply that this, this actually makes a lot of sense, that this is really a, a self um it's a really our own internal feedback mechanism allows these to deepen. I think that's why I like to look at the precepts, not as kind of a shalt not, but more like, look at these as trainings. Look how you can actually explore mm-hmm. them. And each one of these Thank can be seen you. that way. Thank you. Thank you Thank all. You. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Okay, Anastasia. Oops. Okay. Now, uh, thanks for the talk. And I, I think maybe along similar lines, I'm trying to, I'm trying to embody them. Maybe the paramas. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to think my way through them. Um, and so I'm trying to, but I'm, but I feel like I'm trying to grasp onto something solid, you know, so that I know where I'm going in a way, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And so, sure. yeah. Okay. Well, you can, you can look at, there's different ways that we, we learn, right? Part of it is we may often start with just our minds kind of dragging a handle on, like there's 10 of these, for example, it's hard to kind of keep them all, all straight. So just, just pick the one we're working on in a month and just get an idea. What is that? What's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that word, like generosity or ethics or you know whatever it might be? And just notice that. And that what that allows you to do is start to see the conditioning that you have, the way that you've kind of shaped around that. And then there's a journey from the the mind and the intellectual understanding into the heart of that. You know, to actually, how does the heart show up? How does the sense of embodiment come? But for most of it, it's, it's a process. I think it's a lot to ask for us to suddenly show up fully embodied around these. You know, that's why the perfections kind of points as this is a journey, this is a process of deepening and understanding. And by having that attitude, that actually sets us up to integrate much better. Because I've had this idea that, okay, I already got this one down, I don't really have to pay attention to it. Or I have kind of a, a kind of a rigid sense like um as Susan was talking about that sense of rules when my life goes contrary to that, when an impulse goes contrary to it, there's a tendency to try to, there's a friction that comes up. Well, this this activity or this thing I want to do doesn't fit in with my idea of the paramis. Right? So sometimes I throw out the, I become more unconscious. I don't look at that. But if I have a sense of a process, when that kind of struggle comes up, then I can actually turn toward it. I can actually engage around it and learn about it. Because it's, it's, I think it's as equally important to understand the nature of our suffering, the very personal shape of our suffering, of our conditioning, as it is to understand the liberation of that, the freedom of that. And ultimately, that working and understanding it is in service of the liberation. If we try to jump to the liberation part, that contraction tends to pull us down, especially when those, those unresolved, unintegrated parts of our life come to surface. Thank you. Thank you, Anastasia. All right, we're starting to warm up on the questions. Any any other questions out there? You have a couple more minutes. Okay, well, looks like that's good for tonight. 
Can I encourage you, you know, thank you for those who had the courage to ask questions and to put yourself out there. Because the questions help, they benefit everyone. They benefit the person who asks the question because you get to voice the way you're seeing it, the struggles you might have. The act of voicing it is an act of wisdom. It's an act of, of uh, determination. It's an act of, of truthfulness that comes up. We can hear the response that you know, hopefully resonates and is helpful and helps us all start to understand these in deeper ways. So I encourage you to really make this an alive process so you see how can I integrate these these paramis? You know, how can I understand them in a deeper way? Even if you've heard about them for your whole life, look in a fresh way, look in a deeper way. All right, so thank you all. Tori will be here for the next three weeks and um, have fun exploring the paramis with her. All right, have a wonderful evening.